Man, Jolyn, how are you? I'm great. I'm trying to, you know, I'm hella rusty. I'm trying to send out the <laughs> of like hella rusty. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, all things considered here. So we're gonna see how this all works. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm gonna have like a, my my through the wire moment. So I put out the personality of Mr. You're, can't hear me now. I can, but your audio kind of went out for a little bit. Uh oh, man. Even YouTube is like, look, man, we missed y'all. So hella rusty. <laughs> Well, what's up, everybody? I'm Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, all things galactic, and I'm doing the swag over there. We see you. Give it up for none other than the wonderful. Your audio went out again as you were complimenting me. I didn't. I didn't quite hear. Okay. The audio. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, I'm not. You know what? <sighs> I'm already cutting. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take it the shady side up today because I already see the type of vibes that we're on. It's the new year. What is it? It's Jolene GC in the place to be. I'm really, you know, looking forward to tonight's episode. Also, just, you know, the new year in general. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty excited. I don't even know how to follow up with that. So without further ado, go ahead and cue the intro. That's hot. everybody today is going to be something completely different which is the starting of a new era because mm -hmm. if you haven't noticed yet we've actually made some significant changes here at the come up series like hear me by the way it's going down i don't know if you're moving say something hello okay i got you <laughs> all right we're gonna make sure that we have our moderators in the background definitely doing a sound check can you guys make sure that you guys hear my audio? Sound check one, two, one, two. Really? Now it's back. Okay. Well, we're going to have to definitely fix this. Give me one second here because I missed y'all and apparently my audio missed y'all too. So, and it knows I'm about to be on some type of strong vibes today. Can y'all hear me better now? We can hear you, but that audio is trash. Wow. Okay. Can you hear me better now? I think we can work with that. Okay. We're going to have to work on this because clearly, I guess this is like their way of saying, hey, Mark, you know, you shouldn't have definitely. I wonder, is this better? Let me hear. Hello, my name is Mark Monroe. Wait, keep your volume the same. Hello, my name is Mark Monroe and you're watching the Come Up series. I mean, I think we could work with that. We'll work with it. We can, we'll work with it. Yeah. We'll, we'll work with it for today. You know, today is a... All right. I don't want to prolong it too much. Also, just as a heads up for everybody else, I just got back from the dentist office. So my voice is good. But at the same token, my two parts of my mouth are numb. So we're going to see how this all plays. Okay. All right. So today we're talking all about digital leadership, but we're making some significant changes here at the Come Up series. Because if you haven't noticed, we brought on Lawrence, who's done a phenomenal job at talking about the markets, economics, and we kind of wanted to take it to a whole different level this year. We start bringing in different pieces of content that are just as valuable, that all connect with each other, but it literally helps you in your wealth journey. So I really started to think about it because I was like, well, you know, us talking about the stock market and everything else is only just a shade of who we are. You know, there's a whole part of it that a lot of folks don't know that a lot of information that we do have and knowledge, a lot of knowledge that we want to share with each and every single one of you. So one of those things that we wanted to do was to create an MBA slight program, technically non-accredited, of course, but we wanted to give you guys a lot of golden nuggets. So over the next 52 weeks, yes, you heard it correctly. Over the next 52 weeks, we are going to be going through kind of like graduate level material that is kind of like on the MBA side, and that's M, like Mark, uh, MBA. And at the same token, we wanted to provide you some of the other stuff. Now, this is some of the information that you would normally learn from, say, for example, going to Harvard or Wharton, and we want to make sure that we provide those things to you. So, uh, yeah, 
Hopefully that the information is there for you. And here's the interesting part about it. What you're going to gather here on this side will definitely provide you some strong value in not only just being able to further your investment portfolio or do better in your investment journey, but also help you also within your career as well. So kind of like folk, multifaceted focus here. So, Jolyn, how should we start? Like, you know, because normally we would do like, let's talk about the markets. Do we want to do that one last time? Or Yeah, we can. Okay, so let's give it to him one last time. All right. Wait, let me make sure I got everything. Totally! The first totally of 2023. Mm -hmm. All right, so we got the Dow coming in at negative 10.88 percentage points. So now the Dow is starting the year off at 33,136.37. The S&P 500, negative 15.36. We are below 4,000, y'all. Below at 3,824.14. The NASDAQ out here misbehaving at negative 79.50 percentage points. We are now below 11,000 at (sighs) 10,386.99. That's all I can say. Let's just shake my head for the red. That's, I mean, because, you know, I was hoping for something something different for the new year, but it's all good. All right. So the VIX is at 22.90 and the U- U.S. 10-year um, is at 3.758 percentage points. It kind of went down just a little smidgen. Heading over to sector performance is 2023, y'all. And as you know, there are 11 sectors. We like to track the top three and the bottom three so we can see what that rotation is looking like. We have holding it down in the top three consumer excuse me not consumer discretionary but communication services financials and real estate our bottom three would be consumer discretionary tech and energy energy is dead last y'all know how energy did last year and even the year before now it is dead last for sector performance now as of right now these are our these are our picks right now aka the sips as of right now, this is subject to change because it's a new year, right? But if you want to see where these are, you can go to our Instagram page at that come up series and you can scroll through and you will find the latest a list. All right. Oh, we didn't say hi. Was King Rel the first one? He was. He was first hi, in the chat. How you doing? All right. So we have Joanne um, up 6.67%. We got Meta up 3.66%. Twilio up 2.98%. And then for our final um, bottom feeders, Devon Energy, negative 5.51%. Unity Software, negative 5.84%. And we have Tesla dragging the bottom, swinging low sweet chariot at 12.5%. Two four percentage points. Those deliveries came in along the light side. So, yeah. although four hundred five thousand plus or so is that's pretty significant within a quarter. Yeah, but Wall Street was unimpressed. <laughs> so, yeah, I think they, I think they were looking for four eighteen. I think the whisper number was about four twenty three, four twenty five. Yeah, they're looking so. higher. And I mean, that would have marked it at fifty percent for the year. I mean, I think a lot of folks had already expected that Tesla was possibly going to come in light after mm-hmm. we were hearing about the rumors. Um, I mean, but I look at it like this: forty percent versus fifty percent. Eh, yeah, it's a difference, but yet at the same token, solid year, quality year by Tesla. So, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So them prices are looking bargain, bargain, <laughs> bargain basement deals going forward. Well, okay. So RIP to market overview. You can get market overviews on Monday now. That's all a Monday thing, y'all. Um, but over here, around here, we are about to embark on something new. I'm excited. Um, if I had to do law school all over again, Mark, I would have did. I would have did a combo. I would have did. I would have got my JD and my MBA. Um, but I was trying to get out of Illinois. Like I was trying to get back home to Seattle. So I couldn't stay one more year just to make that difference. Well, I I would have said yeah. I've if. If anything, I feel like I've gone through the MBA program like multiple times given in my career as Mm -hmm. entrepreneur. And then on top of that, coming in secondary as venture capitalists, you know, so again, it's like, you know, I feel like I've I've, I've definitely been seasoned well enough Mm -hmm. to go through the ups and downs and also the journey in real time. So all my L's that I've taken were not by graded. They were not graded on a curve or anything like that. It was just life. All right. So what's cool about going through this for 52 weeks, 
this is really going to help um, all of us, you know, all the cousins really sharpen like our thinking as it comes to thinking about these companies and how they, you know, profit, how they pivot, how they position, profit, pivot, position. Like it's going to really change how you invest. And that's what I'm excited about. Okay. So should we get started? Yeah, yeah. Right, let us go ahead and switch it over. Should we just go full screen or should we go you and I on the side? How should we play? It? Let's do full screen so that they can re we can like go in between, but okay, let's let's all right have it. So, I guess every now and then we want to like, I guess when we have that question period, then let's go ahead and you know break yeah. it down and we'll switch between that and the, the screen that has us with the slides. Mm -hmm. Sound fair, everybody? Now, I need to know, like, because there's going to be a lot of note taking that's going to be necessary. So, I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to definitely uh, go get your pen and paper. If you got pen and paper, go ahead and you know just say, I'm ready in the chat or just type ready because uh, this is going to be different. Honestly, it's like, it's kind of like the information that, you know, a lot of folks wish that they had, mm -hmm. but you know, you're going to get it today. You know, yeah. it's, go no, ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's like, you know, a lot of folks out there, you know, like one of the interesting things that I learned over the course period of having the come up series, you know, for what we do is, you know, we had like cousins that have now gone on to further their careers, you know, get elevated within their careers and make even more as it pertains to their earning potential, just from the knowledge that they were learning over that period of time. And I believe that there's a lot of value there. And so I want to, you know, extend that on. So that way each and every single person here can have that opportunity to further themselves. So this works universally, whether you're an investor, whether you're a student or a person that just wants to learn or a person that wants to apply this towards a, a company that you already own or a company that you're looking to start. It's a good way so that way you can understand a lot of the things. And don't worry, I'm going to apply a lot of real world knowledge into these things. So it's not like it's going to be just conceptual here at the Come Up Series. We're going to yeah. definitely give you like solid knowledge. So I just it sounds like everybody's ready, go, but go ahead. Let me just add this. And I will do my best to help y'all have your notes be organized because honestly, like the way, you know, like if you didn't go to college or if you didn't do that well in college, it's probably because of, you know, like your note taking. And I will do my best to help you all keep your notes organized. It may be something that I do like after the show, but I just want to make sure that everyone, you know, can ask like access information in a way that is organized because it's so easy just to have pages and pages of notes of random things, even though they all mm -hmm. go together. But organization like is key for your thinking. If your thoughts are unorganized, like it's the synapses won't snap as hard. So I'll do my best on that side. <laughs> taker, like, let me tell you. <laughs> All right. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is week one. And don't worry, we got you guys covered also because also in every week, there's also going to be homework. Now, whether or not you want to turn it in or, you know, work it out, uh, that's up to you. But just think about it like this. When you're done with this at the end of the 52 week period, it's going to be interesting because you can now like take this information over and either start applying it as you go. Or again, you can also possibly build this as a program to put into school systems or whatever it is. So I hope you guys, I put a lot of thought and energy into this over the winter break. So hopefully it comes out well, but first things first, welcome everybody. And this is digital leadership, but we're going to have a taste of uh, the global economy or the global digital economy, uh, AI for business and the age of digital disruption. So those are going to be some of the things that we're going to talk about today. In this presentation, we will explore these key concepts and how they are shaping the business landscape. As you and I all know, uh, we will also discuss strategies for overcoming barriers to change in organizations, which is also a huge thing, um, which we'll probably get to maybe next week where we talk about another subject, but I'll talk about that at the end. Um, but just know this, as an investor, it is important to understand the impact of digital leadership. And on top of that, uh, the global digital economy, AI for business, and the age of digital disruption on the market. These factors can sig significantly impact a company's competitive landscape and future growth potential, which I'm going to go through in this process. So let's get this agenda knocked out, shall we? Yes. Um, and hopefully, do we get the transition over there or are we a little stuck? Hold on, let's, let's go ahead and like... I guess Canva has significantly missed us because it's not the transition's not working. No, 
hold on. Let's let's try that again. Let's try it again because I think it probably just went out. Uh, I'm so excited to do this. I y'all have no idea. Uh, okay, let's try it again. All right, can you see that, Jolyn? I can see week one digital leadership. Okay, so here's the agenda for week one. Uh, we talk about some of the basics, and of course, we're going to get into the global digital economy, AI for business, age of uh, digital disruption, and then we'll have a conclusion. All right, so let's get to it. So when we think of uh, digital leadership, and we're going to keep it brief, it's the ability to use digital technologies to drive organizational change, innovation, and growth. So as an investor in a company, it is important to consider the company's digital leadership because it can have a significant impact on the company's performance and long-term prospects. So companies with strong digital leadership are better able to adapt to the changing business, like I had said before, so that environment, and leveraging those new technologies to drive growth and innovation. So this can result in improved efficiency, lower costs, and higher profits, which can translate into you know other things like stronger financial performance of the company. So we've seen this across multiple different facets of companies across the board when we look at publicly traded markets, when we look at startups. Um, we talked about this back in 2020 when we assessed the technology uh, stacks of different companies. And from that assessment, we were able to see which companies were able, uh, which were well positioned uh, to pivot for profit despite a pandemic. So you saw a lot of those. Now that the pandemic is over, you're going to probably see those same companies or even other companies make those shifts also as dig digital leadership really takes place. So to put it into perspective, think about it from this aspect. So we went from 2018 and 2019, you know, there was already a digital transformation that was already taking place. There was already digital leadership that was already in the foray. But then what happened? A pandemic happened. And then again, a lot of companies had to expedite their process. Now, because of the fact that they do very, very well in their digital leadership, it allowed them to be able to scale up or also turn on those other growth levers, aka vertical channels. So that way, essentially, it's like they can they can turn on the levers for better for higher revenue or increase profit margins. And then on top of that, that you saw an inflow of demand, which they were able to meet. Now, some of them weren't able to meet the demand and that's okay. But again, you just saw that transformation as it pertains to digital. Look at now, if you get the chance, go and look at Microsoft's event where they talk about some of the software where they realize that they're thinking more of a hybrid environment. Now, the beautiful thing about digital leadership is when we start seeing those things change, we start seeing like the effects of it. It's like a ripple effect. So somebody threw a pebble into a puddle of water. Now, of course, the first thing that we see is the immediate impact. But then you start to see the other impacts start to play out in the process alongside as we start start to go further out. So for example, you saw a lot of folks switch to companies like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Slack, and all those other things, right? But then what happened? Look at the fabric of a lot of companies now starting to build the business around those platforms even further. So the, those platforms significantly expanded. Look at what happened with Meta now teaming up with Microsoft Teams and also Zoom. When we saw, say, for example, Adobe also getting into the space as it pertains to you know furthering their process of acquiring a company like a Canva. So you're seeing more of that digital leadership really start to take shape, form, and fashion. So, which leads us into the next thing, right? So, why is it important? So, it's a, it's essential. I mean, no way to think of, no way to go around it. It's essential in today's digital age, as it allows organizations to leverage the power of technology to achieve business goals and stay competitive. I mean, that's the only way that you're going to be able to remain competitive or hit an area of growth and scale at any business. That's the only way that you can do it. If you, if you do not, then you become stagnant. And then if you're stagnant, then pretty much, uh, yeah, if you're stagnant, then pretty much you're probably going to die out. And we've seen many of those companies die out over time due to the fact that, you know, again, you know, they didn't make the necessary changes. So what are some of those examples, right? Like just as simple as using simple data analytics. So learning from your customer base, learning from what's actually happening and using that data analytics and also looking at things like machine learning to drive business value and leading a team in a way that is authentic, transparent and human. So one of the best examples that I like to use here, which is actually going to be, we're actually going to take the quote from this person is Microsoft, a.k.a. Mr. Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. Digital leadership is about using technology to drive business value and about leading in a way that is authentic, transparent, and human. So why is that important? So if we think about it, right, you know, look at the business of how Microsoft Azure has significantly evolved over, let's say, the last four years. You know, where once upon a time, they were entering into the space as probably number three behind Google Cloud and AWS. And look at the, look at how they completely transformed their entire business model. If you look at, you know, 
for example, you know, they build, they use the AI and machine learning and also the data analytics from the usage of their, of the companies that are their customers. They're able to take that data and then turn that into new business models or new revenue drivers at Microsoft. And that's just a fast, uh, one of those facets as it pertains to, you know, digital leadership. Now you can apply this across any other industry, but this is one of the simplest, the reason why I'm giving you that example is, is, is probably because it's the most simplest to understand. Now, which leads us into a case study. So one of the things that we're gonna do here is when we start teaching concepts here at, at the Come Up Series, we're gonna try to focus on giving you real world case studies for you to go back and look at. So let's take a look at Amazon as an, as a great example of digital leadership. The company has consistently embraced new technologies and used them to disrupt traditional business models. Amazon's use of data analytics and machine learning has helped the company optimize its operations and make informed business decisions, leading to its impressive growth and market dominance. So we know this. If you look across the board, look, and a lot of folks like to look at it as it pertains to just its AWS cloud, but look at what they also did from starting off with books and then going in to you know amazon.com and then of course i mean I'm, I'm definitely jumping through a few other things but um if you look at also what they did across the board as it pertains to getting into places like prime video music and then turning it into amazon prime where it's a kit and caboodle of services that's huge that's a digital that's something that you would look for in digital leadership to literally transpire so now here's the other thing and you know you know, Jolynn, I wanted to ask you about it. Like when we think about like, you know, why is it that Amazon does not pay out dividends? Um, they don't pay out the dividends because they instead reinvest in their business and it allows them to constantly and consistently embrace all these new technologies. So you'll notice the companies that usually give out dividends, those are like veteran companies, like established companies um, that not to say that Amazon's not established. It is. It's a veteran business, but it's also on a growth trajectory as well. So like a company like Coca-Cola, for example, you know, will give out a dividend because they can, you know, um, and how much more do they need to innovate? So those companies that are doing they are investing in their technology stacks. They are, you know, pivoting so that they can be that digital leader. Those are the ones usually who do not give dividends. They reinvest that money instead, and hopefully it um, pays off as they continue to grow. Perfectly said. Nothing else that needs to be said there. So we're going to move on in the presentation. All right. So let's look at the next thing. Let's look at the global digital economy. So when we think of the global digital economy, of course, I'm going to read the, 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 the definition because, of course, this is going to be on podcast. If you haven't noticed by now, we are actually on Apple Music and Spotify now. So if you ever want to get like a listening, if you just don't want to go to YouTube, but you want to go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Come Up Series is now there for you. And you can also check out some of uh, Lawrence's uh, previous episodes as well. All right. So the global digital economy is an economic system that has emerged with the expansion of the Internet and digital technologies. It is indicated by the increasing digitization of products and, and services. So the rise of e-commerce, which I think that everybody should also start looking at something called mobile commerce, because I think that we're getting past e-commerce, which lets you know exactly how far along we've moved forward. And essentially, it's like now we're not only just looking at things that are web, but also mobile. I mean, and then on top of that, we start looking at things like how the, the growth of the gig economy has significantly changed things. Now, I think that the gig economy version 1.0 I think that that's definitely reached its peak and we're probably going to see a proliferation there where we start seeing the gig economy 2.0, which should be fairly, fairly interesting moving forward. So as an investor, um, it's important to think about these things when we look at the global digital economy uh, because of the impact that it has on a wide range of industries. So companies that are able to navigate the challenges and opportunities presented by the global digital economy will be well positioned to succeed in the long term. This includes understanding the trends and technologies. Uh-oh, is that you? Okay. All right. The trends and technologies that are driving the digital economy and identifying opportunities to leverage these trends and technologies. Uh, they do this ultimately, like I said, to drive growth and innovation, a.k.a. scale. So once upon a time, you probably heard that data is the new oil. Well, now data is the, is currency in this market. So if you think about it, you know, that's the major key that has literally propelled a lot of things to come forth. Think about all those companies that once upon a time where it was revenue is money and is oil. Now it's data. Like there's tons of companies that really are, say, for example, you know, not profitable, but yet at the same token, their data is so valuable that that's what sets the valuation for a lot of these companies, which will later set the stage either for their 
acquisition as a startup, or maybe even, well, probably by the time when you're publicly traded, you should have revenue um, and you should be profitable. But it ultimately sets the stage for the next things to come, which you'll see that a lot of the larger players are looking at the global digital economy and really jumping into that space to essentially acquire some of the smaller players that adds just to their stack. And it's, and it's very cool because it leads us into the next thing, which is the future in action. So when we look at the global econ- the global digital economy, uh, it's growing at an unprecedented rate and is transforming industries and changing the way we live and work. I mean, Let's let's look at this diagram for a hot second. And I know that there's a lot of data on it, but I'll try to make it simple for everybody here and also to explain it for the folks that are probably going to be listening to it uh, via audio. So if we look at 2020, if you look at this, if you look at the globe here and I have my marker here on the screen for you. So we look at the look at the, the countries that you saw that are very much so well developed and definitely have a large play out as it pertains to the use of data. So you have places like Latin America, which is probably using about 200 terabits per second. Uh, then on top of that, you have the United States, which is using 16 over 1600. And then of course you have some other, some of the other countries that are using about 400 to 100 terabytes per second. Now, when you think about that, like let's, let's get into the minutia of this, right? Cause a lot of you are like Mark terabytes. What does that mean? So if you think about it, like many people have about maybe if you use Comcast or Spectrum or any of the other services, you're probably probably using um you're probably looking at it as it pertains to um what's the best way to explain it if you have an internet service provider you're probably receiving about 50 to roughly 200 megabits per second right and to a lot of folks that's very fast now then there's the other folks that are very forward and they're probably using a gigabit per second where they're probably spending like and then you see that the speed is even faster that's a lot of data coming through at one point in time in which that is able to that is able to download or bring in information so think about all the 4k videos that you watch via netflix Amazon Prime that you're just watching them via streaming. Now think about the amount of data that that's using just to transfer, you know, a 4K video that is encoded, maybe compressed, but at the same token, still giving you 4K quality, ultra clear, ultra high def, um, and being able to put that on your screen without any type of hiccups and everything else. That's a lot of data throughput that's coming through. Now look at exactly since now this is what it's projected for in 2024. Look at how a lot of these countries are now starting to come online where you're starting to see in the, in the companies that are already online, look at exactly how those lines are getting fatter. So the usage of data is starting to become way more. So, and, and, it, and it gets even interesting because look at the, look at the companies as it pertains to their, their type of use cases, as it pertains to what is being used. So it sets the stage. So like, for example, look at Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet, Apple, those are some of your most data usage, data hungry companies. Now, of course you have some of the smaller ones, like that are the up and comings, like your Twilio's and Uber, um, as well as say, for example, eBay's been there, PayPal's been there. Um, and then of course your Netflixes of the world and many of your other such your other social media companies. Now, if we look at it across the pond, as it pertains to what's happening over there in Europe, you start to see that there's not a lot of data that's ultimately being utilized there. And then on top of that, if you look at, say, for example, Asia, look at how much that they're starting to come online and look at the vast difference between, you know, when we look at it across the board from place to place as it pertains to usage, look at exactly what's being occupied here. So there's a lot that's coming out of the United States. There's a lot that's going from United States to Asia. And then on top of that, from from Asia to Europe, and then look at also what's happening between Africa, the Middle East. And then, of course, you have Latin America, which is definitely coming online. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see like some of these um, some like lifestyle factors overlaid with like data usage. So, for example, like what um, like the country's like happiness factor is versus how much data is used, like how much yeah. online versus, you know, people's mental health and all that stuff would be really interesting to um, like look into more. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because when we look at it across the board, I mean, there's actually studies that goes to show that the more that people use like things like social media, the more that essentially that it's been shown that, you know, that they've been a lot more depressed because of the fact that so many social norms have been established that they're trying to live up to. Um, so <laughs> exactly, you know, it's a lot of pressure to post that one photo that is supposed to be the best version of yourself. Um, but l- let's let's move along. So when we think about like, here's something from Sundar Pichai, CEO of Google, he says the global digital economy is growing 
at an unprecedented rate um, in which that it's changing the way we live and work. So imagine this and looking at this image in which that you see here, this is not so far away in the very near future. You know, you're probably going to start seeing some of this stuff fairly, fairly soon uh, coming to a store near you, coming into a workplace near you. And some of these places, some of these things are already in your workplaces that are already being tested. So, so Mark, when you, said, you said this stuff and, you know, people see the visual, but audio wise. Yep. For the audio folks, we're talking about augmented reality, uh, mixed reality. We're also talking about digital twin technology, where a lot of folks are starting to use digital twins. So when you stop working, your digital twin, the digital version of self is still working and still running through process, a.k.a. quality assurance, quality control. You see this happen with a lot of auto manufacturers. You also see it with a lot of industrial based companies like like a Boeing probably uses the digital twin technology very much. So when they look at the when they have a design concept. And then essentially they use that digital twin to essentially go through and look at some of those specs and ultimately refine it. That's how we're able to get to iterations so much faster. Where we've gotten to a place like think about like the, the cell phone and I'll, I'll come on screen for this. Think about where we where we made it with the cell phone, where we've gone through so many iterations where it's like now people have gotten to the point where we're like, well, there's not really a lot of innovation that's really happening there because of the fact that it's like we're starting to see the innovation slow down. But I'll get to that in a second. All right. So. Here's something that I wanted you guys to think about and ponder. Did you know that the global economy, the global digital economy is expected to reach $23 trillion by 2025? This represents a significant increase from the 11 trillion it was worth in 2014. So we're in 2023 in January. And so we got like, what, two more years? So we reached 2025 and we're probably going to be at a $23 trillion market cap. And I'm probably expecting that this is coming in a little bit light. We're probably going to be a lot higher than this moving forward. But what's going to be interesting too is seeing how the um seeing how this particular um all these digital assets that these companies are investing in and utilizing is going to accelerate momentum on the S curves that we've talked about in the past. Yep. Now it's kind of interesting cuz we actually had somebody mention we actually had somebody mention the word baba in this conversation, which is very interesting cuz Lo and behold, Alibaba was actually our case study that we had chosen uh, to really greatly reflect this. So let's look at China. One company that has successfully navigated the global digital economy is Alibaba, the Chinese e-commerce giant. So AKA deemed like, you know, the, the biggest competitor to out there to Amazon, most likely when it comes to e-commerce. Alibaba has leveraged its scale and technolo technological expertise to become a dominant player in the global e-commerce market. The company's platforms such as Taobao, and Tmall have uh, revolutionized the way customer or consumers in China and around the, the world shop online. So look at the positive impact. If we look at this diagram real quickly, look at the positive impact on the U.S. economy. So sales and goods on Alibaba's platforms generate jobs, support wages and add billions to the United States GDP. So we're talking about direct impact in 2020. That was $40 billion in direct revenue to U.S. brands from online sales in China via Alibaba. And then on top of that, when we think about direct and indirect uh, induced economic impacts in, back in 2020, $39 billion in total value added to the U.S. economy, 256,000 uh, U.S. jobs that were supported and $21 billion in supported, uh, uh, supported U.S. workers. That's interesting. And then when we think about the brands that partner with Alibaba to increase their overseas markets, 15% food and beverage products. But look at the other side of the spectrum, personal care, health, and cleaning products, 53%. And then, of course, right underneath that, 28%, which was, was computer and electronic uh, products. Now, if you think about it, right? It kind of makes sense based upon what we saw as it pertains to 2022. If you kind of like connect the dots a little bit, think about it. A lot of the a lot of folks were paying attention to what was happening over there in China, aka and also other areas of Asia. Why? Because if their economy was slowing, then how is that going to have impact on a lot of those U.S.-based economies in which that it added towards direct impact on direct economic impact? So, like for example, where we saw zero COVID, as zero COVID has impacted. A lot of companies, whether it's on the manufacturing side as it pertains to getting goods and products. Um, and then on top of that, when we look at, say, for example, you know, auto manufacturers, look at what happened to Tesla. You know, one of the, if we look at if we go and look at the numbers, which a lot of folks should probably take a look at. If you go and look at the numbers and Tesla's delivery numbers, the most impacted area was China, which added a lot towards Tesla's bottom line. OK, so now that we gotten that out of the way, let's talk about A.I., for business. So just a quick breakdown for anybody who wants to know what artificial intelligence is. 
It's the ability for of computers and machines to perform tasks that would normally require human intelligence, such as recognizing patterns, learning from data, and making decisions. All right. So, but as an investor, though, here's the reason why it's important: because companies that are able to leverage AI effectively can improve efficiency, reduce costs, and drive innovation, which can translate into stronger financial performance. It is also important to consider the company strategy. For integrating and using AI, as well as the potential risk and ethical considerations、uh, involved. Now, there's a lot of ethical pieces in here, so like I'm actually going to get straight to it because, or there's a lot of part of this conversation in which that you know we got to have. So when we think about it, right in the business world, AI can be used to automate processes and improve efficiency and drive innovation. We all know this, and now we're at this place where AI is now writing AI, you know, where it's or AI is writing its own software. So we're starting to see that take place. I just talked about digital twin technology. When you go to bed, you go to sleep. There's something that's still working and refining. Finding the process even more and more and more to to make it even better. And so let's look at a quote from someone, which is going to be very much so telling <laughs> to this entire conversation. AI has the potential to transform every industry and make our lives easier and better. But it's important to remember that AI is still in the early stages of development, and we need to approach it with caution and responsibility. None of this said then, Mr. One, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Meta. Now they've used a lot of AI technology to literally put forth. Think about images that go on you know, their Meta Oculus. That's a lot of AI that's written. When you think about a lot of the things that are the algorithm for you know boosting up a person on Instagram and also connecting you with people that you may know through their social graph, a lot of that is now AI framework that was once upon a time set by some software developers, but now is being done mostly by. Uh, AI and machine learning, and look at how it's impacted its business. If you literally get rid of Meta, the company, and also get rid of Facebook, you know specifically, where do all those millions of businesses go? There is no other platform for them to go. So it kind of like puts the world in a Tina format, where there is no other alternative because of the fact that they carved such out a space and they've done it so well that essentially they now dominate the space. Now, are there other players coming into the foray? Of course, is the Consumer ch、uh, changing, yes, but there's already so much data that they can use to turn on the levers and use AI to do so to help them navigate. So, but let's get a did you know for a second because I get this a lot. A report by the World Economic Forum predicts that by 2025, 85% of jobs that exist today will still be performed by humans, but they will be assisted by AI. Yes, Mark, can you see how the leisure levels are can increase by this assistance of artificial intelligence? It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right. So there's there's some other things to think about it. Like a lot of folks are very much so afraid that you know AI is going to take away a lot of the jobs. No, AI is actually being fulfilled in a lot of areas where people don't want to work, and the places where people are working, they're highly being assisted because of the, again, it's kind of like that thing where you think about.、Um, it's kind of like that. Have you ever heard that that statement where it's like you know computers are only as stupid as the person that uses them? <laughs> Well, we got to think about AI as well. AI is only as smart as the people in which they created, and also make it better. Yeah. But let's show you a real-world case study in which that you know we see、uh, AI definitely having some pure ethical questions, but yet at the same token, you're seeing some strides here. Okay, so this may touch a few buttons, but here's a case study that we're looking at one company, AKA. Has anybody been able to figure it out yet? Well, of course you can, because you can see that you can see their name in the. In the <laughs> but you know the company is Netflix. So the streaming giant uses machine learning algorithms to recommend shows and movies to its users. Based on their viewing history, the personalized recommendation system has been a key factor in Netflix's success. Yeah, we know this, and it helps the company retain subscribers and drive engagement, as you all know. But here's something that you guys probably didn't know. Did you guys notice this image that you see on the screen,、yes. where it says "Like Father"? Now that's an actual. That's some actual content. Mm -hmm. Now the interesting thing is, those are two different users that are seeing that are seeing that show differently. So now it's able to understand exactly who's looking at it and using the AI to literally create a personalization. So, for example, if you think about it, like father, the person on the left is probably most likely Caucasian, and the person on the right is probably black or somebody of color. So the AI is getting to that point where it's able to understand and using contextual and being able to understand. Okay, hey, who's actually looking? And this is how Netflix uses it. They use it to essentially provide you engaging、uh, images that literally that you can directly correlate to.、And、if you ever get the chance, like go on somebody else's Netflix and look up like a movie, and then look at it on yours and see if you find the same. Completely different. You know what, Mark? Mine is very. 
Well, mine has all uh, black people and other people of color. And then it also has like a very like artistic, highly visual bent compared to like if I look at someone else's um, imagery. But honestly, Mark, this this type of person, well, kind of personalization was there. Because don't you remember when like whenever a black show would be on McDonald's had like a certain commercial, yep. but it was only they had like separate commercials, black commercials versus, you know, non the different. But the difference is the AI is creating this. So the AI is actually creating this. And then here's the other part. The AI on the other side is actually like, this is how it puts together recommendations. So when you see a movie in your Netflix, you know, your Netflix uh, list or just, you know, recommendations, right? Mm -hmm. It may show you something as like, let's say, Goodwill Hunting. And it may show you, it may come to you as a drama, but then to the other person, it may come as 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 a romantic movie. Mm. So it plays it out differently and literally builds the, builds it. So that way, essentially, it's literally much more catered to exactly who's looking at it. So user who watches A, uh, who watch A, are likely to watch B. This is perhaps the most well-known feature of a Netflix. So, which means that they've gotten so well to know that if you if you watch this show, you're mostly gonna wa- you're most likely gonna watch this show. And that's the reason why when you think about like how. Netflix literally sets its price points. Also, they also use AI to set their price points as it pertains to how is it that a person also gets paid for their content. Well, Mark, someone just asked, um, can AI be racist? Yes, but it's also based upon essentially implicit biases and everything else that come from the person in whom which that help literally formulate the AI. And that's where we go through the refinement process through artificial intelligence, where it gets better over and over time, where it starts to most likely weed it out. Right. Because just like earlier, you said that, you know, AI is only as smart as the person who put it together. And so on that personal front, those all those biases could be built in. That is correct. That's okay. why it's important to have di- diversity on some of these um, different, especially when it's it developing new technology. Like you have to have more than just non um, people of color on the board and you have to have, you know, women and other um, people on there so that it's not just the same old, you know, white guy making stuff. Yep. Up. yep. Okay. So and somebody said there is a there is a documentary that shows that AI is racist. There again, I don't think that the AI itself is racist. I think it's just more so in the sense that it's literally being built upon what it sees, and it just consistently just keeps processing the data until somebody comes through, or it it's been built in to look for those types of implicit biases. And that's where we're going to get to that point where over time it will be. But in the beginning, you have to think about it, though, that we've been talking about artificial intelligence for quite some time. And we're hitting this boom of like significant like strides even further using AI. There's going to be a long process as it pertains to the refinement where people go back and look at it. And that's why you have a lot of data sciences that literally are being utilized at some of these companies. So interesting, interesting take there. But I'm glad to you know, I'm glad that everybody's like got it on their mind. Let's not get too caught up as it pertains to the, the racial bias and implicit bias. Let's focus also on essentially seeing exactly how is it that we can make these things better and where is it that you could probably fit in making it better as well. All right. So which leads us into we have now reached the age of digital disruption. So in to quote uh, one person on the Avengers, he says we are in the end game now. So and that's exactly where we are now. When we think about like, for example, um the age of disruption right companies that are able to adapt to the changes brought about by digital disruption oh will be well positioned to succeed in the long term i think we all know this this includes understanding the trends and technologies that are driving disruption and identifying opportunities to leverage these trends and technologies to drive growth and innovation it is also important to consider to consider that the potential risk and challenges that uh, companies may face as a result of the digital disruption uh and how they are addressing these challenges. So it's not only just in the sense of just knowing that the challenges are there, but again, you know, how, you know, how do we address those things? So let's look at it from some quick notes, shall we? So let's look at the age of digital disruption as a, let's try to put a definition around it. So it refers to the period of time in which traditional businesses are being disrupted by digital technologies and new players entering the market. This often, this is often driven by the rise of the global digital economy and the proliferation of internet-based business models. So if you think about it, you're going to start seeing a lot more of this come about. So for example, with the disruption, you start seeing 
seeing that, you know, okay, normally the things in which that we find that are innovative are nine times out of 10 disruptive. Now, why is this important to each and every single one of you? Because we are living in the age uh, where new technologies are constantly emerging and changing the way we live and work. So companies that can adapt and embrace these changes will be the ones that succeed, like I said, in the long term. So when you think about the company that you're at, ask yourself, you know, are we really ready? Is, is the company that I work for, is it really ready to literally, you know, are we really ready to like literally go through, you know, a digital transformation? You know, if not, are we are we so far behind? And a lot of you know it when you see that like the technology that they use are so dated and they don't stay up to date over, let's say, a two to three year span. You know, those are things in which that we look at. Um, and then on top of that, there's some other pieces to the pie. Like, for example, you know, the technologies that we see that are out there, like you have your work days, your you know, you have also like look at what what Slack has done and look at how it made the entire industry change as it pertains to people communicating. Once upon a time, we needed to use email. Now it's like those types of platforms, whether it's Slack and then now bringing out the Microsoft Teams of the world. And then on top of that, now getting into video where it's like people don't have to like literally email a person and send an email. You're starting to see that people are sending emails less and less and less, but they're sending more quick messages. And that's the speed that lets you know exactly how much companies are significantly making changes, like how changes are being made. Okay. So I'm going to I'm going to bring it back a little bit, you know, because I feel like it's important. So, you know, that quote was given to you by Tim Cook. Now, here's the interesting thing where we talk about, like, the age of digital disruption. Now, this image that you guys see behind you really makes all the sense in the world. Right. Because once upon a time, Apple had to literally you know, work with other significant players and then they started creating their own SOC chip. Now look at how many other players now, other companies are starting to create their own chips. You know, Google now creates its own chip, a.k.a. the TensorFlow chip, which is pretty much a quantum chip that they've been working on. But now they're putting it into their Google devices to make them more powerful and, and, and also increase the neural power for the device to like be free flowing and thinking. You know, when we think about Microsoft also possibly looking to step into the space. You also see car companies like Tesla that have created their own SOC chip. And you're going to see more and more players that start to do that because the market has now been disrupted. So it's kind of funny when everybody says that, you know, Apple hasn't really innovated anything because that's a huge innovation. That's a huge step in which the Apple has gone through to literally say, OK, hey, we're going to make some significant changes. And it's just a small change of taking something that they already use, but then essentially changing the entire way of how we do it. So beforehand, they had to go through the supply chain and work with another partner that was ultimately supplying them the chips based upon maybe to their specifications and needs. And then they would be waiting on them. And then if you think about it, their price points were a little bit higher. Now that Apple is able to do it, they're able to keep the same price point, but also increase the profit margins at the same time. And that's what makes them well insulated. And that's a major disruption because now companies realize the same thing. And they're, they want to increase their profit margins, too. And that and that causes disruption across the entire uh, platform. So I wouldn't be surprised if later on, you know, even, you know, some of the other makers like and that's why you also start to see that those chip companies, they see the writing on the wall. So what do they do? They start going ahead and acquiring some of these smaller companies that are doing some pretty phenomenal work and ultimately getting into those marketplaces that have yet to even touch any type of disruption. But now that creates disruption because now you're creating a totally different era as it pertains to chip technology. Let's see a case study. Okay, so let's look at a case study, aka let's say just one Uber away. Uber. So the ride-hailing company Giant has disrupted the traditional taxi industry. We all know this by using technology to connect riders. So just imagine you literally give a person that people already had a phone, and you literally put an app on on their phone that literally allows them to turn on the meter to their car, and then literally say, "Okay, hey, I'm going to take this fare. I'm going to take this booking to take to drive somebody there." Now, do you notice anything on this interesting? Uh, uh, do you notice anything on this on this image of this case study, Jolyn? Hold on, let me pull it back up. Sorry, I'm multitasking over here. Um, <laughs> I notice a couple of things. I notice um, number of seats. Um, this thing that says three bags, like you can now customize so that you can get a better suited car. Um, yeah. I also see uh, these prices. I see a copter. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like the copter. So in New York, they now are running this as a test mm -hmm. where literally you can book an Uber copter to take you from one side of New York to, let's say, JFK. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Talk about disruption, right? Because what does that do? What does that do to things like traffic? What does that do to existing business models from 
say, for example, their competitors. Mm -hmm. What does this do in comparison to also when we think about things like flight? Question though. And air travel. Yeah. Okay. So we're looking at, you know, we look at companies like Uber, DoorDash, all those kind of places that leverage the personal assets of individuals. Where are these copters coming from? Now that is another question. Like who are the suppliers? Because you're going to probably start seeing a proliferation there where you start seeing other major players. And that's why I said this is multifaceted, whether you're an entrepreneur, just a person looking to study and further your career and knowledge uh, window. And then on top of that, if you're an investor, it's something for everybody, because somewhere down the line, you're going to see that somebody is benefiting from seeing a major opportunity, a major place in the the pond. And all it takes is a major droplet of water, like, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, but it all starts many times from just one small ripple that literally disrupts the entire flow of things. So I would probably say that what's going to make this price point even cheaper is when you start getting other spaces and where it creates like more so a a system in which that, again, we can start uh, bringing down the cost because of competition. That's the beautiful thing about it, though. Also, it creates competition. But at the same time that we think about those things, we got to think about the barriers. Yes. So we got to like start thinking about like, you know, and there's innovation that need there's digital leadership that is needed there as well. So like when it comes to removing barriers to change in organizations. So in order to adapt the, to the fast uh, changing digital landscape, companies must be willing to embrace change and continuously evolve. However, this can be difficult due to a variety of barriers that may exist within an organization, such as a resistance to change, lack of leadership support, and of course, inadequate resources. We've seen these things take place across many different companies. So what does that mean for you guys as the investors, right? You know, because when we think about it, you know, companies that are able to overcome barriers uh, to change, such as resistance uh, to change and lack of resources and lack of leadership support, will be better able to adapt to changing, changing business environment and driving innovation and growth. This can result in an improved efficiency, lower costs and higher profits, which can translate into stronger financial performance for the company. So one of the major things that we're talking about, like here, which you can possibly use as a market, which you're going to probably which you probably saw as a huge topic in last year. But it will probably start to it'll start to be more a little bit under the surface is look at, say, for example, uh, look at this this topic called ESG. We'll probably teach that next week if we possibly get the chance, uh, if we can uh, sneak it in there. But again, we have a whole 52 week lineup as it pertains to making sure that everybody uh, will have a lot of adequate information and knowledge here when it's all said. All right. So companies with strong digital leadership are more likely to be successful. A study uh, by MIT found that companies with strong digital leadership were five times more likely to outperform their industry peers. That's a more, you know. Now let's get to a case study, shall we? Yes. Especially looking at the time, three minutes. Yeah. So let's look at a company like GE, you know, you know, GE has been around for forever (laughs) since the, since the dawning of time. (laughs) Now, under the leadership of Jeff, the company has undergone a major transformation, uh, shifting from a traditional manufacturing company to a digital industrial company. This involved embracing new technologies such as the industrial Internet of Things, which they got very heavy into, uh, and then reorganizing the company structure to be more agile and responsive to change. So what were some of those things that, that we saw them do? We saw them sell off a lot of the assets that were already within their portfolio. They sold them off. They said, okay, hey, we're going to just sell it off. And it's interesting that I said that they sold it off because, you know, a company that we did in the case study before, uh, a.k.a. Uber, they did the same thing by selling off a lot of their assets that were digital. Like, for example, their logistics and a lot of those things. They sold off a lot of those things to become more agile and focus on a specific roadmap. And you're seeing it really play out today. Now, here's the interesting thing. A lot of companies, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're a publicly traded company or whatever, any company out there develops, they always know who their customer is. And the companies that don't know who their customer or the customer is, or they lose sight on their customer, you start to see that they start to falter and they start to waver a little bit. Now, when they start to get back into that focus, like look at Apple or let's take it even bigger. Let's take somebody even different. That's much more easier to look at, to examine. Let's look at, say, for example, a Microsoft, right? Microsoft, who is Microsoft's primary customer? Businesses. So enterprise, right? Mm -hmm. Microsoft's core business is surrounded around it's enterprise. Now, of course, they provide things for their retail consumers and stuff like that, but their bread and butter where they're going to spend majority of their capital. Like if you look at like their gaming division, though, it's great, but it doesn't it doesn't bring home any of the bacon. It doesn't. It's just there to just like literally push forth and bring forth more data, which that they aggregate and feed towards the AI. 
but the real business is really around their enterprise sales, their enterprise cloud, their enterprise uh, PC sales, AKA OEM. And the reason why they do that is because of the fact that that's one where the money resides. And then two, they realize that if they keep building those services, that it's going to trickle itself on down to some of the other services. So something to keep in mind, but you know, if you find yourself in a situation where you start looking at like, you know, you know, how, what are some strategies that you guys can do? Don't worry, I got you covered. So here are some strategies for overcoming barriers to change. Just a few for you to examine. One, build a case for change. You know, in order for that to happen, you have to have a strong case. So clearly articulate the benefits of the change and how it aligns with the organization's uh, goals and values. The second is you got to get support from leadership. If leadership doesn't get behind it, then they're probably not going to spend it. So secure a buy-in and commitment from top leaders to ensure necessary resources and support are in place. And then of course, provide resources and training. Uh, so you may come in with a lot of knowledge and everything else, but at the same token, it's like there's going to be folks that are probably completely light years behind that don't understand what you're saying. So you got to make sure that you provide those resources. And most likely, if you're thinking about this, then nine times out of 10, you're a thought leader. If you're saying that, hey, that's me. Yeah, it is you. Communicate openly and transparently. Keep people informed about the change process and address any concerns or questions they may have. And of course, encourage people involvement. So encourage them to get involved. Don't just make it all about you. Encourage people, involve them in the change process and give them a sense of ownership and responsibility. When people do that, then essentially they you can start to see that there's major change and sh changes and shifts within an organization. This is one of the reasons why we start to see that, you know, you see certain like things that are that are getting better within diversity, equity and inclusion at some companies. But then when you look at other companies, you're like, man, they ain't doing a damn thing. And that's the reason why, because well, nine times out of 10, they missed it on these strategies. Go ahead, Jolene. I was going to say it's also about um, involving like the different stakeholders, not just in the form of, hey, um, you know, I want to encourage you to be involved here. It's also like the stakeholders building the table that they're going to be sitting at. And maybe it's not a table that the stakeholders want to sit at. It could be something completely different. But until you involve the stakeholders early on, we will continue to have the same diversity fails. Exactly. Which leads us to some takeaways and, you know, pretty much to wrap this up. And I'm going to keep it simple for you. all All right. So again, uh, key takeaway, when we think about digital leadership, the global digital economy, AI for business and the age of digital disruption, uh, our key, the, each and every single one of these are key factors that organizations need to consider in today's increasing digital world. And this is not just at large based companies. These are not only just large companies. These are also go for nonprofits, education, as well as startups. Um, without those things, like, you know, you have to think about it to adapt and thrive in this environment, companies must be willing to embrace change and continuously evolve. That's that's part of the, like there's that's the only way that you can do it. You know, when we think about the digital landscape, it's constantly evolving and it is important for organizations to be proactive, one, uh, adapting to change and embracing um, you know, new technologies and business models. By doing so, they can position themselves for success in the long term. So, you know, it's kind of like it's interesting because, you know, like when we look at companies like Meta, you know, they're in the midst of going through a major shift and change. And it's very much so scary, you know, for a lot of investors, for a lot of people out there, because they're like, okay, hey, well, what will Meta, Meta be and will this actually fail? We don't know. Um, but at the same token, it's like it's part of a long term process where it's like they make the investment to position themselves. To be there. Now, how do we know that it won't fail? Well, you know, lo and behold, if you get the chance, look up Apple in 301. I'll, I'll repeat that for y'all. Check out Apple in 301. N as in Nancy. Just do some Google searching there and see when it and do some research to find out when it comes out. The first homework assignment that's, of 2020. Well, that's not the homework assignment. That's not the okay. homework assignment at all. So, you know, since many of you guys are, are investors, right? Mm -hmm. I got some stuff for y'all. So what I want you guys to do is look up five companies that meet the criteria within these arenas. Like meet the that meet the that meet like for example, where are they at in digital leadership? Where are they at when it comes to the global digital economy? Where are they at when it comes to AI for business and also the age of disruption? And also you want to get even further in from an ESG perspective, what are they doing to remove barriers? And what are some of the strategies that you foresee based upon the conversation that we have? All right. So you'll have to research the companies and their various industries demonstrating the strong digital leadership um, and are, and what is it that they're able to leverage as it pertains to those new technologies to drive business value. Um, and then on top of that, when we consider global digital economies, you know, think about it from a simple perspective of look for companies that are well positioned to navigate these challenges and succeed in the long term. You know, like when we think about like disruption, um, identify any barriers, like I said earlier, identify the barriers to change that these companies may be 
facing. Um, and then after you've conducted your research, put together a list of five companies and then run them across other people to see exactly what their thesis is. If you really think about what I just did there, I just gave you guys the founding principle as it pertains to coming forth with a thesis for each and every single person. You know, share it amongst your, share it amongst groups, share it amongst people that you know. Sit down and have these conversations. And keep in mind, y'all, this is just an intro. <laughs> today, today was just the intro for what is it that we're doing here at the Come Up series. This is just week one. Week two is going to get even more interesting. Our goal is to make it challenging for you, to challenge you and how is it that you think, how is it that you see things, some of the things you may know based upon a lot of the knowledge that we've already shared. But now we're looking to go even further. Like, and expect, like, you know, don't just think that this is just a one-off or every now and then. Expect these types of lectures every single week. We're coming at each and every single one of you. Like, we're, we're, coming, we're, we're coming in hot this year, so... Jolyn, did I miss anything? Nope. That was everything. All right. Well. You said it best. A 52-week matrix. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, with this knowledge that, like, the goal is, is that, you know, a lot of folks ask me, like, you know, well, Mark, are you going to do the matrix at the end of the year? Like, if you really think about it, this is the type of mindset that I go through every single day when I examine startups, when I'm talking to companies, when I'm talking to folks on Wall Street when I'm going through all these different types of things. Like these are the types of things that I'm going to roll back the curtain and share with each and every single one of you to instill that knowledge. And, you know, also to leave it here as a placeholder for the future kids as well. But again, I hope that you guys had enjoyed tonight's uh, episode, the lesson. I hope it wasn't too much. I hope I definitely broke it down for each and every single one of you simplistically. And on top of that, here's an interesting part. Just to show you that we, we also drink from our own Kool-Aid from what talked about a part of this presentation was also helped put together with the help of ai so there you have it ai helped me put together some of this presentation which lets you know that we embrace it significantly but at the same token we work together to essentially create something pretty cool so again if you have to rewind it that's fine but if you want to check it out it's also available on apple Podcasts. all you have to do is just search for the come up series as well as on spotify you'll find it there we hope you guys enjoyed jolene did i miss anything nope Okay. Um, so all the until next time, I'm Mark Monroe. And I'm Jalen GC in the place to be. We'll see you in the next one. Peace, y'all. That's 100.